Toronto voters pick former NDP MP Olivia Chow to be their next mayor. Not respecting Z, Zer pronouns is a violation of human rights, according to a university in Ontario. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith renewed Alberta Health Services official administrator Dr. John Cowell's appointment. Hello Canada, it's Tuesday, June 27th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Former NDP MP Olivia Chow is Toronto's next mayor. In her second attempt to become mayor of Canada's largest city, Chow beat a crowded slate of candidates, garnering 37% of the vote. Like her late husband and longtime federal NDP leader Jack Layton, Chow campaigned on a left-of-center platform with proposals to address homelessness, affordable housing, and tenant protection. Her marquee campaign promise is a pledge to build 25,000 rent-controlled rental units on city-owned land within eight years, for which she's earmarked an estimated $400 million. Chow's campaign was also built on tenant advocacy, pledging to prevent rent evictions a loophole landlords often use to evict tenants through the Affordable Homes Fund. Chow's vowed to refrain from using Toronto's newly created strong mayor powers that would allow a mayor to move legislation through City Hall faster and without the majority of council support. Anna Bailo, who was endorsed by former Mayor John Tory, placed second with 33% of the vote. Former Police Chief Mark Saunders finished in third place. He had 8% of the vote and Anthony Fury, who is currently on leave as True North's Vice President for Editorial and Content, received 5% of the vote coming in fourth place. Other mainstream candidates include Mitzi Hunter, who gained just under 3% of the vote, Josh Matlow, who garnered just under 5% of the vote, and Brad Bradford, who gained 1.2% of the vote. So Lindsay, right off the hop here, I'm not super surprised to see these results. Basically every poll that we saw had Chow in the lead, I know a lot of people were hoping that there would be a big push for Balo at the end. And we did see that to an extent. The victory for Chow was much smaller than the polls anticipated, but it still wasn't enough for Balo to pull ahead. Were you surprised by the results last night or is this pretty much what you expected? I think it is a little surprising that Toronto went for an NDP mayor. I suppose her promises of affordable housing were very enticing to people in a time where, you know, rents are extraordinarily high in Toronto. Um, But what about all of the other things that she'll have to address that, uh, like crime and public safety, um, opioids and needles in parks? You know, is she the person who's going to solve those things? Because you know, with her kind of mushy left of center views, um, she doesn't really have a clear path on how to address those things. Usually people with her kind of, you know, ideology, uh, they, they say things like, oh, you know, we just need to house the drug addicts. And then, you know, apparently their addiction is just going to magically go away once they have some sort of uh, room to live in. But I don't think it works that way. And the points that you mentioned are exactly the same that we heard from a lot of voters who were really hoping that Bela would be able to push off a victory in the end. Chow appears to have a really soft on crime policy in a city that is being hit especially hard by crime right now. Of course, we're seeing an uptick in crime across Canada, but especially in places like Toronto and Vancouver. 
Olivia Chow seems more interested in talking about hate crimes. And we know she's talked a lot about improving mental health supports and creating a safe and caring city, but she didn't really offer a platform on reducing what has been a steady increase in major crimes in the city. And I think that spells a problem for the people of Toronto. Yeah, there's some sort of idea on on the left of center, you know, spectrum of things that if you're having, if you if there's people in crisis on the street, apparently if you call social workers, they're going to magically fix the issue. Uh, I think they're in for a wake-up call if they think that's going to work. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ottawa's Carleton University says refusing to use one's preferred they, them, zeezer, Zizer and EM pronouns is a violation of its human rights policy and has an online portal to report incidents of misgendering. The university also recommends that people use they them pronouns for everyone until they get to know people's correct pronouns. Not using one's preferred pronouns is considered misgendering, which Carlton says is a violation of its human rights policy. The university writes, quote, if someone has told you their pronouns and you repeatedly refuse to use them, you are in violation of the university's human rights policy. Violating Carleton's human rights policy can lead to disciplinary action. In addition to the strict pronoun policy, Carleton University has an online portal to report incidents of transphobia, including misgendering and deadnaming, which refers to a transgender person's pre-transition name. People can use the online portal to report transphobic incidents they've either experienced themselves or that they've witnessed. Gender identity and gender expression were added to the Ontario Human Rights Code in 2012, giving protection to those who use genderless pronouns. Gender identity and gender expression were also added to the list of prohibited grounds of discrimination under the Canadian Human Rights Act in 2017, when the Trudeau Liberals introduced and passed Bill C-16. Rachel, the real standout here for me is this online portal where you report misgendering, deadnaming, or other transphobia, as the university says. You know, I went to this form, it's anonymous, and the submissions are sent to the trans and non-binary inclusion coordinator. So that's someone's job. And you fill out uh, the incident again, anonymously, and it goes to this person. And it just struck me as so sad and pathetic that someone has this job where they oversee these complaints because it's, it's, it's Kafkaesque, maybe it's even Orwellian. Um, but, you know, to, to be the person in this job, you must really lack any kind of skill or talent to contribute to the world that this is what you do. You oversee anonymous complaints of, you know, dead naming and transphobia. Am I being too harsh? No, you're not being too harsh. And this story hits especially close to home for me because I actually graduated from Carleton not even that long ago, just about four years ago. So things have drastically gone off the deep end since then. I won't lie. Carleton was a very left-wing university even while I was there. I found it very frustrating not being able to have proper discussions in my class. But 
what they're doing now is they're trying to create a culture of fear to police people's language. And we are seeing this constant encroachment of this desire to police specific words that people use and create them inappropriate. And it's part of a broader theme in which they really want to control people's minds and the ways that they think. And you're exactly right. It's crazy that they have just appointed someone to do this job full time. It raises a lot of problematic questions. So you can give a complaint anonymously. So you could honestly just give a complaint about someone that you don't like for the sake of giving them a hard time. Maybe you're trying to get them punished on university campus. Maybe you want to see them expelled. It's sort of the same thing that we've seen in this Me Too era where women can anonymously make complaints that they've been sexually harassed or even sexually assaulted. And often their names are kept under publication bans. And we've seen so many cases where it turns out that they were actually consenting adults. And yet the individual, the man that they have accused of committing this heinous crime against them often is expelled from university. We've seen instances where men are even removed from the sports teams that they're on. So it's all really problematic. And even the fact that you mentioned the person who is appointed to this role is someone who is a part of the trans community. You know, they're not really interested in looking at the facts here. You know, they're not coming at this from an unbiased manner. They clearly have an agenda and they are going to be very severe, I suspect, with the punishments that they are handing down. So I think that this is really inappropriate. You know, it's time for students to, to, to choose different for themselves. It's time to say we're not going to put up with this stuff. Choose a different university or just don't go at all. You really don't need to go. You can make way better money in the trades. But this kind of stuff is just ridiculous. And I feel bad for these students on this campus. I feel really bad for the conservative students on campus who are increasingly marginalized. And now, as I've mentioned, they are going to be living furthermore in this culture of fear where they're being forced to comply or risking losing their degree and all the money they've put into it. Rachel, everything you're saying about, you know, the culture of fear, policing language, and ultimately, you know, controlling and, and limiting the ways in which people can think and express themselves is so on point. And it, it is so tragic to see that people go to university, get these jobs where they in turn limit people's abilities to express themselves and seek truth on campus. Um, and this is what these diversity and equity and inclusion departments do. They exist in order to quash free thinking and truth seeking. And that's why, you know, for the past couple of years, my position has been all diversity, equity, inclusion departments on university campuses and beyond need to shut down immediately. I would agree with you. And I think what we're seeing from conservatives is a renewed push to take back free speech and also to be offensive. I firmly believe in the right of individual people to be offensive in their language. And you are allowed to be offended, but that doesn't mean I'm not allowed to speak things that are offensive. And I think it's important that we start to just reclaim words that we've been told we're not allowed to use. It's interesting sometimes when you hang out in a group of like-minded conservatives and everyone freely talks, I've heard conservatives say, you know, this is so refreshing. I can just speak so freely. And it's true. It is refreshing, but we really need to stop thinking that we have to bridle our speech online or in other settings. And we just need to sort of remove those restraints that we've been taught. I myself actually struggled with this after university and after joining independent media. There had been so many things I had been taught were inappropriate to say or that would get me into trouble that I had really learned to restrain myself on what I could say. And it was almost an act of unlearning that. And certainly every student who's going to university right now experiences that 
they are just under this overwhelming propaganda all the time that certain words, expressions, beliefs, and ideas are inappropriate. And you have to actively fight against that. And even if it just means by speaking those ideas and words within a small group of people originally that are like-minded until you can build the courage to speak them in a more public setting, I think that's important, but we need to start fighting back in our own ways. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith has renewed Alberta Health Services official administrator Dr. John Cowell's appointment until the end of the year following a reduction in hospital and ambulance wait times. Cowell was appointed to establish a healthcare action plan in November, weeks after Smith became Premier and dismissed former Provincial Chief Medical Health Officer Dina Hinshaw. Cowell was charged with reducing ambulance, emergency room, and surgical wait times and developing long-term reforms through consultations with frontline workers. He reports directly to the Provincial Health Minister, a role given to Adriana LaGrange after Jason Copping lost a seat in the May provincial election. AHS data from May shows massive improvements in wait times since Smith became Premier and appointed Cowell. For example, Calgary ambulances responded to urgent calls in metro and urban areas in 12 minutes on average in April, compared to nearly 22 minutes last November. There's also been huge improvements in red alerts, which are issued when no ambulances are available to respond to 911 calls in a given area. Calgary spent about four minutes on red alert in April, down from 4.2 hours in November. The government of Alberta says other improvements include a 17% decrease in wait times at emergency departments, fewer patients waiting longer than clinically recommended for surgeries, and the addition of more nurses, paramedics, and other frontline staff. So I'm not super surprised to see that Cowell's appointment has been extended. Obviously, these are huge improvements for AHS, a system that was really buckling under the weight ever since the COVID-19 pandemic. So these are good things for the province. There's still quite a long way to go. But we know that now Daniel Smith has been given a mandate of another four years. She's feeling more comfortable in her role since she has actually won a general election. And I think we're going to see some big changes now that she has the mandate to do so. You know, Lindsay... Everywhere in Canada, we're seeing such big issues with our health care. Is the government in BC also making changes to address some of these issues of surgery wait times, hospital wait times, and ambulance wait times? Well, it's good to see things uh, going up in Alberta. Like, you know, things are on the up uh, in BC. Uh, you know, they're solving things in their own way. For example, cancer patients, because uh, we can't treat them in time in BC, they're starting to send them over the border. So the NDP government here announced a new program where they're going to send some cancer patients to Bellingham in the U.S. to treat them there. Uh, but otherwise, you know, things are pretty bad in this province, British Columbia. In the Fraser Health region, um, specifically Surrey-Langley, which is just kind of on the outskirts of the uh, metro Vancouver area, experiencing pretty high population growth. Um, doctors have been speaking out about how they do not have the resources, they do not have the staff uh, to be able to treat people properly. There was a an obstetrician at the Surrey Hospital who spoke out and said there was actually a newborn death 
because they lacked the resources to care for that newborn at the Surrey Hospital. There have been letters written by physicians at the Langley and Surrey Hospitals saying we need to do something about this crisis situation. Uh, and the health district, the health authority, uh, tried to silence them, basically, and told them don't talk about this publicly. Then I guess the kind of remaining issue here is BC still hasn't hired back unvaccinated healthcare workers. So we're still missing out on a whole bunch of nurses and other healthcare workers who were fired years ago because they didn't get the COVID vaccine. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.